Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrency production is exclusively for informational purposes. Everybody for Cryptocurrent, I'm Stephen Miller, and you're watching the Aftershock, the weekly show where we bring you the latest and greatest news from the wild world of Web3. As always, I'm joined by my, by my co-host Richard Carthon. He's the host of our interview series here on Cryptocurrent. Richard, how we doing? Doing great. We finally broke through the forty-two thousand dollar threshold of Bitcoin. I know we've been in a bear market for basically the last month or so, and everybody was freaking out, but. The biggest bull signal that we needed right now to see if we were potentially headed in the right direction was the big 42,000 number. We've now surpassed that. We've gone to 43,000 today. Uh, we were all the way down to like 1.6 something trillion market cap last week. We are now up to over 2 trillion. So again, tracking back in the right direction. Um, there's a whole sea of green, but we still have a long way to go before we get back to uh, prime time uh, crypto land of, let's call it two months ago, back in November. But um, I am optimistic. I feel like we have opportunity to get back into true bullish times. But there's still a, a scenario where we, we reverse this and truly go into a, a bear market. So we're not out of the clear yet, but we're at least going and trending back in the right direction. So uh, a deep uh, sigh of relief uh, I'm definitely feeling today. But how about you? How are you feeling? You know, man, I'm always you know the type of guy that likes to take the optimistic approach. But in recent weeks it's kind of gotten tired, right? Like, I mean, what? We've been in a downtrend since November. You already said it. I think the exact date was November 5th was the last top. And I think that like we're really getting to the point where we can almost legitimately say that we are in an elongating cycle. We have proof now of microcycle theory. Now, we can get into that in a different video, but... For today, I want to make sure that our new our new viewers know exactly who we are, what we do, and why we're here. So for those of you that are new here to our YouTube channel, because we'd like to simulcast this from our YouTube and to our podcast platforms, we are thrilled that you're here. And we would love it if you come back and join us here every single week for Monday episodes of Interviews with Richard, Wednesday episodes here with us on the Aftershock, and also Fridays for another concluding week interview with Richard. We do a lot of this stuff around here because we want to help you connect with Web3. So we're going to connect you to the bigger thought leaders in the space, and we're going to connect you with the news that you need to know to stay up on the trends in the space. So today is no different. In our Aftershock show, we like to bring you the news, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Breaking news. Today, we're talking about Solana. 
and how in recent weeks it's been showing some vulnerability, not necessarily from a price perspective because it has been creeping back up lately, but there are some other details that we want to make sure that you are aware of so that you're making a well-informed investment decision should you decide to invest in Solana. Uh, But there's a bunch of other big top stories that we're going to get into this week. And we do that in a segment that we call Buy, Sell, or Hodl. Buy, sell, or hodl. So we call this segment Buy, Sell, or Hodl because we typically will give you our take as we go through these specific stories and tell you if we're buying the news, selling the news, or we're hodling on the news. So let's run through this one real quick. We, We like to start out with a lightning round. So in the lightning round this week, we have a couple really interesting stories. Do you just want to popcorn this one, Rich? Do you want to take the first one? Let's do it. So Bitcoin is above 40000 for the first time in two weeks. And glad to see it trending back that way. Yep. Very big for Bitcoin. Speaking of which, though, Bitcoin processed $3 trillion worth of payments in 2021. That news came out last week because we finally got the quarterly reports from Amex and Discover, who together made up for $1.8 trillion of transactions in 2021. So if you want to weigh out exactly which networks have the better you know, effectiveness, it's pretty clear Bitcoin is currently on top. Next up, we're looking at Litecoin's uh, Mimblewimble privacy upgrade is finally live. They've been looking to do that for quite some time now. Uh, so good, good news that they have that up and running. Yeah, almost feels like they've been waiting for that upgrade since we got news of Ethereum 2.0 needing to go live in 2021. <laughs> but I digress. I want you to take the next one because I need I need to unpack the last one with you. All right. So next up, we have Philadelphia is considering city coins to boost its treasury. Um, yes, you heard that right. Uh, Philadelphia in the United States is considering city coins to boost its treasury. So city coin, just for those of you that are not totally familiar with it, they're the um, project that brought Miami coin into existence and has helped the city of Miami bolster their economy around a cryptocurrency. So. The city of Miami has that in their treasury. Now Philadelphia is moving into it as well. Last piece of news and why I wanted to really lean into this is because I myself am an Arizona native. So this is big news to me. Representative Susan Delbean from um, Washington and David Schweikert from Arizona together proposed on the floor of the House of Representatives in the US Congress this week, the Virtual Currency Tax Fairness Act, which would exempt all personal transactions made with virtual currency when gains are less than $200. Now, this absolutely flies in the face of what we saw that was snuck into the infrastructure bill. And I think that it's a really big deal. Rich, what do you take away from basically this statement and why this is so monumental? Right now, as it states in what's coming for 2024, and we can unpack this at a later time, but... Uh, for for those who are considered brokers in the crypto space who are sending money, um, if you do not properly document everything, uh, you technically can be considered a felon because they can give you a felony for for not doing this. This looks like they are trying to go in the right direction with how people send money because there's, again, people who just send a minimal amount to each other and are trying to take steps in the right direction to kind of undo that and and start putting in some things that will make crypto more palpable for people and allowing them not to have to really document or worry about documentation for smaller transactions. Yeah, it's, it's going to be the first of many pieces of legislation that's going to be put forward this year and even into next year, as I'm told. But 
this is a step in the right direction because you actually are seeing right now people coming together from across the aisle. Susan Delbean from Washington is a Democrat. David Schweikert from Arizona is Republican. So they are allowing themselves to put partisan politics aside to get the right legislation through. So I'm a really big fan of this. I think it's going to be very big and difference making going forward. But let's get into some non-fungible news. This is where I really just kind of go crazy because I love tracking what's going on in the non-fungible space. And we can bounce this around a little bit. I want to start out talking about Pixel Vault. Pixel Vault is a massive media house now that has essentially a number of different properties. They have the planetary DAO tokens. They have generative identities, which is basically superheroes that you can play in their upcoming game um, metaverse. And they also have founders DAO tokens. So there's a massive ecosystem forming around this. Oh, I'm sorry. I left out Punk's comic because you know they don't have enough already. They have a massive ecosystem of content. They have an insane amount of intellectual property. They're building out not just games on the blockchain, they're building out um, the likelihood of them rolling out television series, um, like full, full-length full feature films. They're going to use this IP so widely and so well that they decided to go out and raise some capital recently. And this was announced last week that they had secured a $100 million raise from A16Z and I believe it was Electric Capital, but I could be totally wrong. I'm probably totally wrong. But that gives them an official $1 billion valuation. That is so huge. But speculators are currently saying that there is a deal in the works with the Board Ape Yacht Club's Yuga Labs, who is quite likely going to do a raise that would give them a valuation of between $4 billion and $5 billion. Just out of curiosity, Rich, what do you think of these NFT projects that are getting $5 billion valuations, $4 billion valuations, lots of billion dollar valuations? Hey, the new age unicorns are here. People keep talking about like all of these really cool, unique companies in the regular stock market. There's not too many places in the world you can go where you can find a company and it literally are getting billions of dollars of valuation in a year. That's, that's insane. And here yeah. we are. Um, so real quick, I want to go ahead and bounce. Uh, I want to bounce ahead on the same subject since you just brought up board at Yacht Club uh, to BuzzFeed actually docs two founders of Yuga Labs recently. And um, it kind of goes back to the conversation we had in last week, Aftershocks, around um, when people should be keeping their, uh, staying anonymous and when they shouldn't be. So again, board at Yacht, they're doing a lot of things right. They're not really going out of their way and to my knowledge have not, uh, messed over anyone at this point. So there's not really a, a reason to go after the founding people. So the fact that they decided to expose them, uh, I, I don't know that that's necessarily fair. So it, again, it's it's tricky, right? Because like, when when do you want to stay anonymous? When do, when should they be exposed? There's, it's, it's, I would say it's fluid and gray, but like, this feels like one of those times that didn't, didn't necessarily feel right. How do you feel about that, Steve? This is one of the two most frustrating stories of the week to me. And again, we, we always do this show from the perspective of the last week in review. We want to make sure that you're up on the news because it's hard as hell to track all this stuff. And when we went over the anonymity discussion around Wonderland last week, you know, there's a reason why you want to disclose that stuff. Like there's criminality in question. There's, you know, fraud in play. But in this case, BuzzFeed is basically defending what they did in doxing these founders as journalism because... 
any person that is investing in a, a company or a company that gets a billion dollar valuation should not be anonymous. I'm sorry, BuzzFeed. That's not your damn decision to make. It just isn't. The reason why you decide to be anonymous if you are like a law-abiding citizen is to protect your family so you don't have a target on your back, right? These are regular people that have started a project that has exploded in eight months' time, right? We're talking about like this, the assets that they own likely are larger in total like value than a Powerball lotto payout, right? And everybody who wins the lotto is immediately told, do not disclose who you are. So this is automatically going to continue to put them and their families in harm's way. And I am not for this. A lot of people have come out and like spoken to get out against BuzzFeed for what they did in this. And I'm sorry, it's not journalism. Like it, it absolutely is not journalism. So yeah, I'm a little heated on this one. Um, if you can't tell, but that's my rant. I'm going to leave it there. Why don't we talk about football? How about Let's we talk, talk about, about football? football? <laughs> Let's do it. So Super Bowl this year, all the attendees are going to receive unique NFTs. That's awesome. You see a lot of these larger sports events and locations starting to do that. I believe one of the first ones was two years ago when the uh, Dodgers decided they're going to give out an NFT for all the people who went, I think, to one of the World Series games. And you're starting to see that in the NBA, the NFL, et cetera. So really cool that people are being uh, able to receive these NFTs. And again, it's, it's continuing to show mass adoption. What bigger stays than the Super Bowl? It's the most watched event in the country every single year. Um, you're seeing records of money being spent on um, ads this year. And again, all the people going there, getting NFTs. So everybody's starting to understand what an NFT is. And NFT is going to be the entry point into a lot of people into crypto. I'm pumped about that. Yep. I think it's going to be a really big deal. Um, we're going to start to see this not just at championship series like the World Series and the Super Bowl. And we're going to start seeing this at most major sporting events here in the near future. So I'm pretty excited about it. People are going to be able to start using that as like their ticket stub collection, if you will. Um, so pretty exciting stuff there. Real quick, who do you have as your pick for the Super Bowl this year? We've got two teams that are going to be entering it this weekend in the Los Angeles Rams, Boo Rams. That's not to say that I'm not going to be, you know, saying that I want them to win. And um, who is the AFC contender? The Bengals. So I want the Bengals to win, but I think... That's why, uh, I, don't, that's why I don't know. I want the Bengals to win. I think the Rams are going to win. That's my call. Yeah, look, I'm, you and I both went to school in New Orleans. And it's really hard to cheer against somebody who played up north at LSU like Joe Burrow. I'm going to find it really easy to cheer against him because part part of me wants the validation that the NFC West is truly the most contested division in football. Um, so if the if the LA Rams walk out of this one with a championship, I'm not going to be that hurt um, because it's just validation that the, the West is insane. Um, well, we digress. Uh, back to the world of cryptos. Two quick more things for non-fungible news. We have GameStop and Mutable X launching a joint fund to power GameStop's NFT marketplace. Um, we're actually going to drop some breaking news on that real quick. Go ahead, this, this is breaking just today um, when we are recording this on Monday for our Wednesday show. Um, GameStop has chosen to take a little over a third of the money that was granted to them in this joint fund and liquidate it. 
immediately. So bad. now, like, this happened back with Uniswap when they like announced their governance token. Like, there was a partner within their um, learning and education um, grant program that like just really screwed them over and did like a mass liquidation. But what happened here is number one, shady and wrong on the side of GameStop. Like, I don't know why you would do that to somebody who you literally just signed a partnership agreement with. But it's equally stupid on the side of Immutable X because every single ICO and new token offering out there, they all utilize these term sheets where they require a lockup period for these tokens or a vesting period where you get a certain allocation of the tokens that you're guaranteed over time so that you aren't just liquidating and flooding the market with this you know, coin. That's exactly what GameStop did. And Immutable X didn't stop them by having that term in their agreement. So I think it's bad on both accounts. It, this piece of news could have been so freaking good. And yeah. it just... Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. It, it. It went downhill quick. And again, just to speak to uh, why are we saying this is bad on Immutable X's side? They should have put in a cliff. They should have put in terms to where they would not be able to be this liquid this fast just to make sure something like this could not happen just this quickly after the announcement. So it's just a bad situation all the way around. And hey, we'll we'll see how this all shapes out. But to wrap up the, the non-fungible news, um, OpenSea surpasses Uniswap as the most used Ethereum dApp. Dapp is a decentralized application. Um, it was a matter of time. Again, I'm curious to see if OpenSea can keep this type of momentum as Coinbase Marketplace NFT is about to drop. We're just going to have to see. I don't think they are, but I have a lot of opinions and I'm going to continue to express them on this show. I hope you're ready for them. Um, <laughs> there was one other piece of non-fungible news that didn't make our deck for our YouTube viewers. And it's an interesting piece I want to make sure I bring up real quick. And that's the in this last week, Larva Labs, which is the lab behind the famed CryptoPunks, decided to release some IP out into the world that was called V1 CryptoPunks. And that was because when they initially deployed the CryptoPunks contract, they voided it and because something went wrong in the contract. So they decided to sell all of these V1 CryptoPunks wrapped to a specific group who then took them on and you know, tried to resell them for a profit. Turns out, Larva Labs comes out immediately after the sale of these things, which they got like $230 million for, and tells the whole world... These things have no value. So the people that just bought them see the value for V1 CryptoPunks tank. They have nothing to show for their massive purchase. And the entire ecosystem's pissed off at them. So a lot of people in like the high-end blue chip NFTs are really pissed off at Larva Labs still. But even more so, they then said, you know, fine, like it wasn't right, but we're just going to donate all of this money to the rainforest. Why wouldn't you just give them the money back, Rich? Like, why wouldn't you just refund the ETH? That's too, that's too logical, Steve. It's too logical. Oh, that's right. This is Web3. It's like, like three-dimensional chess at like all times. Keep anyway, yeah, keep them on your toes. Speaking of which, let's talk about the top story today. Um, I love this story. Everything about this makes me really happy because it actually stands behind the idea of decentralization. So... Carpe Diem, folks. After two plus years of development, Meta has decided to sunset the Diem program. Diem, for those that are not familiar, 
was Facebook's attempt at making a stablecoin that was privately issued. Jack Dorsey then came out in opposition of Meta this week. You know, the Jack Dorsey that was the former founder, sorry, not former founder, the founder, but former CEO of Twitter, saying that DM was a waste of time and effort. Facebook should have just focused on making Bitcoin more accessible. This guy is, he's nuts, right? Like, can we agree on that? He, uh, he has a different way of thinking. He's made a lot of killer products, man. I don't doubt that. Like, fine, he turns square into block. And I guess like that takes some work. But man, like he just wants to come guns blazing at Mark Zuckerberg. And I love it. <laughs> He's about it. Like I'm all for Web2 drama. But the thing that is interesting that comes from this is that four ex-Facebook developers have basically decided to leave Facebook and join forces to build what they call the future of Web3. They formed this group called Meisten Labs. And their entire purpose now that Facebook has sunset the DM program is to basically release a open permissionless version of DM's blockchain. So they're essentially going to start competing with Solana and Ethereum and Cardano and Avalanche and all the other ecosystem plays. But they're already partnered with powerhouses like Celo and Sommelier, which are two additional blockchain platforms. And they have massive amounts of funding from Andreessen Horowitz's A16Z, Coinbase Ventures, and even Samsung Next. So to say that like this is a big deal in crypto, I think is going to be a massive understatement. They're going to do something huge with this. But what I think is kind of shady, and I just want to ask you if you think it's real or if I'm just getting conspiratorial, is when you see four developers break off to do exactly what they were doing at a different company, you have to wonder if there's actually money from Facebook wrapped up in this. Because it seems to me that that would be the sensical play. Regulators were telling Facebook before they became meta, you cannot do this because you're already practically a monopoly. So do you think that like there's a little bit of conspiracy in the background here? Or is this just four developers trying to do good for the world? A little both. I mean, the four devs, depending on, you know, if they left on good terms or not, they basically worked really hard to build this thing. And they basically got told, sorry, your baby can't come out into the world. So they're like, okay, we're just going to go to another world and let the world see our baby. And why wouldn't people behind Facebook, like a Zuckerberg, et cetera, why wouldn't they be able to invest in this? Why wouldn't they be able to support it? They can. Why wouldn't they? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see the way this develops. But I think this is the unique world that we live in. Um, because decentralization is starting to become a thing, more of these labs are going to break off and do their own thing. And I think that we're going to see the end of a different case that is going to eventually come up when you talk about Meisten Labs in the future. Because they are deciding to start a cryptocurrency as an American company, American corporation. By launching a coin like this and taking in outside funds to do so, they're doing something that XRP did, Ripple Labs did. I think we're going to find that Ripple Labs is in fact not a security in the next month. And I'm going to put that call out there. I think it's happening in the next three weeks. If that happens, 
you're going to see a lot of companies like Mystin officially get off of the SEC's radar and the space moves forward at a much faster pace. So I'm hopeful that, that, like, that the regulators don't get wrapped up in this, but that's why they broke off in the first place is because they didn't like how much regulation they were under and how that was impeding the decision-making at Facebook, which is now Meta. So that's going to wrap up our buy-seller hodl for this week. If you enjoyed it and you liked the news that we covered here, please hit that like button if you're on um, YouTube, but platforms. Um, you can now leave reviews both on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it. And we also want your feedback in the comment section on YouTube. So that is going to wrap our news. Let's move into the real meat of this episode. And that is, of course, the segment called The Aftershock, the biggest narrative of the week. The Aftershock. So if you're in the world of crypto in the last week, there are typically three or four stories that come on your radar and you're like, wow, it's hard to imagine that nobody heard of this. One story stood out last week and that was what happened with the wormhole bridge that's based on the Solana network. So wormhole bridge um, is an operator that basically allows for people to bridge wrapped Ethereum from the Ethereum blockchain over to Solana or from a number of other networks. Now, Rich, why was the headline in this so important? The main one is that Wormhole lost $320 million of wrapped ETH to a solo hacker. So uh, a lot of bridges right now are unfortunately being attacked. And one of the main ones is Solana. So um, just to dive into that a little bit more, the protocol is connected to six different chains. You're looking at ETH, Solana, Luna, uh, Binance Smart Chain, Avalanche, and Matic. Um, Yet... You look at where the loop happened and where the issues occurred. It was Solana, and Solana's total value locked fell 12.3 percent from 855 billion to 7.5 billion. So yes, if you are doing that math, that's just about a billion dollars that got wiped very quickly. Um, so, wormholes. Uh, a uh, parent company, Jump Crypto, they decided to replace the exploited funds, which thank God they did. Or you, you saw a really big plummet in the recent price of Solana. It's been catching back uh, recently because I guess people who've been waiting to get a lower entry decided to buy it in. But the reason that you've seen a significant decline in Solana's price right now is that they have a real, they have several issues that have been going on, but a big issue that happened in Solana recently was this multi-chain bridge hack. And the bigger issue that we're going to start with today is just talking about bridges and how when you look at it from a security standpoint, one of the most dangerous things to be dealing with from a a moving your money around situation, unfortunately, are bridges. Because if you think about the ecosystem and how all these different ecosystems, Ethereum, Solana, Luna, Binance Smart Chain, Avalanche, Matic, They are layer one protocols. They were meant to be their own island. Now, when you think about these bridges, literally think about a bridge going from one island to another island, and now they can connect. Now they can interact. So if you were to try to be a thief and a robber and you're trying to go after an island, you're probably going to have a little bit more challenges trying to rob someone. But if you're staying on a bridge probably have a little bit easier to pick off individual transactions as they go across. And that's exactly what's happening. Because a lot of these bridges are, are 
as sophisticated and secure as the individual ecosystems. And so you're seeing a lot of hackers start to attack those vulnerabilities right now. Um, so Steve, man, like as you kind of look at this, like what's your initial thought on one, this occurring to Solana, unfortunately, but then two, how bridges can start to be a little bit more careful with their susceptibility to being hacked right now? So my answer on the first is like, I don't want to be the guy over here tap dancing on the grave of Solana because they're not buried yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, very good project. There's a lot of merit to what they're doing. We're going to get into some of that in a minute. But I don't want to... Like, I don't want to see any project fail. Like, a lot of time we get wrapped up in the ETH killers like discussion saying that, you know, we want... ETH to win out and we want it to beat Solana. We want to like they're all ETH killers that are coming for its, you know, money. It's not the case. It, like they they all can, in fact, work together. And this bridge protocol was an effort to allow them to work together. The problem is, and I think that this is why I'm really hung up on this. And I think that the it was like a tale of the tape almost. Cause across the last two months, Vitalik Buterin has come out and like four or five different statements saying that the future is not going to be bridges. It's going to be multi-chain. It's going to be full-on interoperability. And I want to go back to the analogy that you were making. Like, If you think of a bridge, it's connecting you to an island. It's not a high bridge, right? Let's just say that it's a normal height bridge. Any normal ship, like an actual big ship wasn't paying attention, and let's just say that's the hacker, and they ran through that bridge, all of a sudden you have a ton of assets that are spilling out into the ocean or into the ship. And in that case, that's where you had this hacker taking a bunch of money out of the ecosystem. But if you were to think about interoperability from what Vitalik is saying, that brings you into layer zero. What he's proposing is that Projects like Polkadot and Cosmos actually have it right. And that by creating a layer zero underneath all of these layer ones, it allows them to much more confidently move things between chains. At least that's the hope, right? Can we so, call that a subway for a Nazi standpoint? Subways? I mean, you can call it a subway. You can call it like one of those drill machines that you saw when you were a kid watching cartoons. It can be either of them. But look, I'm not going to go into my bunker just yet. Um, I think that there's a lot of time left for people to discover how they need to be moving stuff between networks. But man, like I get really worried when I'm moving my stuff from one network to another because you're really just sitting there waiting and trusting that it's going to get there. And... Yep. Granted, Web3 was built on the idea that like you don't need to trust, right? It's a ledger. You can tell when it's being moved. You can track transactions. It doesn't mean that it's not scary as shit for you to sit there for 30 minutes to two hours looking at empty wallets, right? So for yeah. me, like I want to see a multi-chain future because in the theory that you know these different platforms bring, the theory says that it would just be instantaneous. It'd be able to move a lot more seamlessly. Um, but 
I mean, what else do you make of it? Because we're going to get into the whole bit behind Solani here. Is there anything else that you want to take apart with Wormhole? Yeah, the final thing I want to put here is just that when you're looking at some of these different bridges and as you are moving money across, especially for the newbies, uh, for people who are just getting to this space, if you're trying to go from like an Ethereum ecosystem over to Solana or Luna, et cetera, Typically, you have to do a couple of more steps so you find one of these bridges. Wormhole is one of those bridges. There's plenty of other types of bridges out there. Um, you want to look at how much liquidity they have. Do they have a lot of total value locked into their bridge? Um, and then you also potentially want to look at um, which coin you're going to be moving over and do they have a DEX on it? So like, for example, instead of sending like in straight Ethereum over into like a wrapped Ethereum on top of Solana, maybe consider doing like a stable coin that you can bridge because there's typically a lot more liquidity. And typically, once you get onto the new ecosystem, you can then go to a, a DEX, a decentralized exchange, and then switch into whatever local um, uh, crypto that you want within that ecosystem. And it's typically a lot, quote unquote, safer. Um, and it's a lot easier that if bridges get hacked so from a standpoint of liquidity, stable coins are a lot easier but to try to go and rectify than native tokens. So again, something to consider. Um, unfortunately, we're still on the wild west of this crypto space. So bridges, from the, for the most part, have been relatively safe. So like, yes, this was a big hack. This was a big no-no, not great. Um, and again, luckily, the parent company, Jump Crypto, made it right. But if you are on a smaller bridge that doesn't have nearly as much liquidity locked up, and you get hacked, you're screwed. You're screwed. You're absolutely screwed. And this has happened in the past, right? Like this is not something new. It's not novel that a bridge gets hacked and all of a sudden a bunch of money is siphoned out. They even actually gave the hacker an opportunity here and said like, look, come out as a white hat. We won't prosecute. We'll give you $10 million for finding and addressing the bug, but refund the money. I don't know if that's actually happened yet, but that opportunity has been given to a number of different hackers that have compromised these networks. So to me, it's like, okay, well, it's a great time to be a freaking developer because if you can go around and find vulnerabilities and poke holes and exploit a network, you can just as easily get a massive reward like that and then be hailed as a hero for saving the protocol from a bunch of shit going forward. So it, it's... It's interesting. It's a very conflicted argument within the crypto space right now. But bigger story is, is that bridges really do have a lot to prove still. But the question here is, is like in recent times, there's been a lot, a lot that's been going against Solana's favor, right? You have a ton that we're going to break down here in pro and con. But from my perspective, I think it's really easy right now to show a Solana bull that there is real reason for concern instead of just being blind to facts. So to me, I want to make sure that I have that out there. I personally have nothing against Solana. I'm not biased against it. But you have to acknowledge this type of stuff if you want to invest smart. So Rich, talk to me about the pro because I think there's a lot of pros that we should go through. But We've got three top pros and three top cons against, for and against Solana right now. All right. So pro number one, Solana Pay has officially launched. Um, it's aimed to be a stablecoin settlement layer. 
this is really huge news. Uh, they are, think of uh, all the things that XRP uh, attempted to do and actually was on track to do before the SEC come in for them. Um, they are essentially on track to do something like that, which is highly encouraging. Yep. And you're right. That is exactly what Ripple was planning on doing. But um, contrary to popular belief, they are still doing it. Like they've been deploying a lot of this stuff worldwide. They just have been avoiding the US where they're being prosecuted. So I hope that Solana can start to compete in that space. But the big thing to me that stands out as a con as to like why you need to be thinking about the negatives and the positives is that just in January alone, they had six or more outages. Like, and some of them were multiple days in a row where users straight away could not use the Solana network. And that is because they are using, well, number one, it's centralized. But number two, they're utilizing a consensus mechanism that is brand new. So there are going to be vulnerabilities there. Um, but let's jump into the next pro. So the next pro is going to look at Coinbase is going to start listing Solana tokens. So right now, if you don't realize, um, a lot of Coinbase and what you can buy on there is based off the Ethereum ecosystem and being able to buy tokens on top of Ethereum. I, even if you look at being able to buy Luna, Luna's a wrapped Luna. It's literally wrapped to be on top of Ethereum. So the next ecosystem play that they're going after is Solana. So again, they have a lot of positive things pointing their way. It's, it, that's a huge deal. That's a really, really big news. Yeah, and as I look at the projects that are in the infographic that we've got over on our YouTube deck, the two that really stand out to me, well, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are probably three that stand out to me, but I get really, really excited about the prospect of being able to buy Audius and Arweave and Akash all through um, Coinbase. Like that yeah. to me is a really big opportunity because a lot of the players that are in the Ethereum ecosystem that are trying to do the same things that those three projects are doing, they're really bad at it. Like it's really proven that those three are extremely good projects. So it's interesting to me and I, I have to accept the pro there. But as I was just getting into right before we moved into that pro is this novel proof of history model. So we were talking about consensus. And what I mean by consensus is within the network for it to be validated and for the ledger to be constantly accurate and recording transactions properly at high speed, you have people that are staking Solana and they are known as validators. So those node validators that are validating transactions by staking basically bounce these transactions across the network and are able to cross-collaborate to determine what is actually happening. And once they validate between a certain number of nodes, it's written onto the blockchain. But Solana has this mechanism that they've added to the traditional proof-of-stake model. That's what makes it proof-of-history. It basically adds in a time component that tracks when these transactions happened at a much more accurate level and adds a layer of speed to the network. Now, speed oftentimes has a cost. And in this case, it's security. So the proof of history model has been a primary target because it's new. And a ton of like attacks have been staged against it, whether it's DDoS attacks or other hacks. 
just because they want to test the network and they want to find vulnerabilities because it's going to be a massive financial ecosystem. So hard to argue with the fact that like within the blockchain trilemma, giving up that security is an issue. But there are certain pros like this one that we're going to get into next. Like Phantom raising $109 million for a $1.2 billion valuation. For those who don't know Phantom, Phantom is a native Solana wallet. Um, Phantom is probably my second or third favorite wallet being after uh, MetaMask and Ledger. Uh, but Phantom has, I've enjoyed, I have nothing but great things to say about the Phantom wallet. And I am not surprised that they just raised $109 million and have become another unicorn in about a year. Uh, again, just another amazing company coming out of the world of crypto and blockchain. So that's a that's really huge news again within the Solana ecosystem with Phantom raising $109 million. So our final con is again kind of returning back to the same discussion around consensus, but looking at it more on a statistical bent. And that's where a number of experts have come out after reviewing what the network's outputs look like. They've measured that a 33% consensus rate is what's currently ongoing in the Solana ecosystem, meaning that only 33% of node operators are actually able to validate transactions. Whereas these same experts say that for a network to be safely secured, that number needs to be above 66%. So they're operating at 50% of what the expert guideline and standard is said to be. That's concerning for a lot of different reasons, right? Because ultimately that is solely relying on a centralized number of node operators and validators, meaning that only a certain number of people are able to validate this massive number of transactions that Solana is known for being able to process. My hope is, is that they can resolve all of these cons. I'm not saying for a second that like, I think that there's a real material reason to be concerned about Solana. I think long-term, it's going to be here. But my question to you, Rich, is like, as somebody who's bullish on Solana, do you have, I guess, a much more bullish leaning point of view after hearing all of these discuss these discussion points? No, it's concerning. And so again, I'm definitely bullish on a long-term project of Solana, but you, when you have hiccups, you typically don't have this many in a row and consistently and all jammed within like a span of like six weeks. Like this is, this is like almost nuclear level bad. But what's offsetting it, which again was just blowing my mind, is all of these headline great news pieces that are coming out. They have the support, they have the resources, and they have the dev team to figure this stuff out. Solana is one of the most uh, they have one of the like largest like dev team support like internationally. They also have like one of the biggest pocketbooks to also go and throw money at these problems and to fix them. So in the short run, not great. They got to figure it out. They know they got to figure it out. And honestly, while there are still a lot of other ecosystems having challenges, aka Ethereum and their gas, people are still willing to give Solana a chance because again, Solana really hasn't been in the spotlight like this, but for like a year and a half. And Ethereum has had, what, eight years to try to figure out what's going on with their ecosystem. So again, the Solana's super new. They're having growing pains. They're still a startup. I mean, 
If you look at any like a major product that's still crushing it today, I mean, if you go back and look at, I'm sure, Amazon, Windows, Microsoft, Apple, et cetera, in the first, let's call it three to five years, they had a lot of mess ups. And they continue to have some mess ups, but like you, they're still the best and they're still like going to have great things that happen. So we're just in the blimp of time of just a lot of bad things happening at once. And again, I, I wouldn't be pressing the nuclear option right now, but they can't continue to have these kinds of mess ups continuing. Like if they were to keep having stuff like this happen over the next three months, I would be super concerned. Um, but like right now I am concerned, but I'm not like devastated and think, oh, this is the end of Solana. Yeah, I would have to agree. I think that it's definitely not the end. Like, I would like to remind a lot of our new listeners and people that are newer to crypto. This actually happened to Ethereum. Okay, like when you look back historically speaking, there was a time when they were having massive issues on the network, and they had to issue an upgrade to patch, essentially, the way that the blockchain was operating. That's when Ethereum Classic was born. Right. So for blockchain to have a natural evolution, it takes growing pains. That's what's going on right now. That being said, do you think that this is a buy seller hodl right now? Oh my gosh. So uh again, not financial advice. This buying situation. The fact that Solana dipped below a hundred dollars, oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I have a hard time arguing with you on that one, just because again, we saw the price really surge on it. And if we are truly still in a bull market right now, it's going to exceed its all-time highs. It has to. There's just no other way. That being said, I would probably sooner buy Immutable X right now. (laughs) That's just my take. (laughs) Fair enough. But but look, that's going to do it for the Aftershock, folks. I really appreciate you coming out and watching the show and hanging out with Richard and I. If you are listening to this over on podcast, please do us a favor, leave us a review, make sure you're following the show for our brand new episodes, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. We love bringing you guys this content. Leave us comments, get at us on Twitter. I am at Steve Miller underscore PHX. He is at Richard Carthon. We'd love to hear from you so that we can make sure that this show is answering better questions for you so that you can get to be a little bit more crypto opinionated and crypto current. Rich, what other episodes do we have going on this week? Who did you interview for Monday? So uh, we had Ivan with um, the Crypto Yachts Arts. Uh, so he's has a lot of experience on like yachts and like basically trying to bring that experience to uh, the world through like NFTs. And the, the goal is to eventually get to a point where like they have enough uh, income that came in where they can like literally buy a yacht and then have the ability for you to go and join like real life parties, but then in the multiverse world, also be able to have some like cool, really cool experiences. And then um, we have Neo on this Friday who is dropping the Age of Tanks, which is a really, really cool um, game on uh, the blockchain. And they have the years of experience in the gaming system and they have a really cool like, they're, they're doing something very unique compared to uh, the rest of the market. And um, I'm not going to spoil all the goodness that's going to drop on that. So definitely go check that out as well. Well, check all that out. And also for those of you that are um, just listening on podcast, please come over to YouTube, check out what these episodes actually look like. Make sure that you you know comment on you know the handsome faces you see before you, but also check out our exclusive content that's dropping on Thursdays with Chris K, who is dropping Crypto Decrypted, what was formerly... Blockchain Basics with Chris K. 
They're going to be really informative episodes, quick, easy to understand, and breaking down some of these concepts that we get into on these bigger shows. But look, I hope that you feel a little bit more connected this week to the wild world of Web3. We hope that you'll join us next week for another edition of The Aftershock. But until then, stay cryptocurrent. See you next time.